0: Hello photography lovers, maybe you're here because you follow the link from our friends from Shoestring Magazine or maybe Lucy's Magazine. They're both our friends and they're sharing our content on their social media. So if you're not coming from their profiles, maybe you want to check theirs. They're both linked in the show notes. So, guys, this is the Fashion Photography Podcast. My name is Virginia. I'm your host. And in this show, we are interviewing some of the best people from the industry. And every Wednesday, we're sharing the interview. And also, every other Friday, I'm answering your questions. And I'm also giving you some tips and tricks. So, as you probably know, today is Wednesday. And it's time to continue with part two of our interview with the amazing Matt Easton. Matt is a photographer and today he'll share with us some of his advices on handling tough clients. Another topic will be comparing yourself to other people. Is he doing it and is it healthy for you? Another part of our conversation is charity organizations and what are the things that we need to be alert about when we're starting such relationships. And by the way, it occurred to me that every time we talk about shooting naked women, we always discuss the comfort of the model, but never the comfort of the photographer. So this time, we'll talk about both. In the previous episode, that if you haven't heard, you can check out on photographypodcast.net, we finished the conversation with the topic of all the photographers out there who are also influencers, and this is where we'll take off today. But before that, I want to tell you that if you want to support our show, you can do it on patreon.com slash photography podcast. For one, two, five, or 10 dollars per month, you can receive something in exchange for your amazing support. So again, guys, patreon.com slash photography podcast. Thank you so much for your support and also for being here with us. It's time for a podcast. That's true. And also many photographers are going on the different direction where they're also showing themselves as influencers.
1: Yes, exactly. That comes down to the client. When you've got photographers like Mario Testino or Merton Marcus or David Sims or Stephen Klein, you know, these big fashion photographers, they've become influencers because of the nature of their work. Since social media, Instagram, Facebook, People want to follow these photographers to see what work they're doing because they're constantly redefining the, the boundaries of fashion and inspiring the youth of today. Just doing what they're doing, they have becoming influencers on social media by the amount of followers they've got. You know, I buy a photography book because I want to see the way a photographer will like something, but I also buy a photography book because I want to see into the life of that photographer. I want to see him sitting by the Chateau Marmont in LA with his his wife and <laughs> And and seeing his world, because that's an attractive thing as well, to feel like you get to know to somebody.
0: I think you're right. People want to know the people that are working with.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Especially nowadays, which is very weird because usually the name is very important, especially nowadays. But at the same time, I feel like we're getting closer to this moment where we're just interested in the person next to us.
1: Completely. Complete. Which is so
0: fascinating for me.
1: <laughs> it's like a double-edged sword. It's good it and is. it's sad. You know, it, it's amazing to have that insight into somebody's life or to, to, to look at locations through Instagram, to look at models work through Instagram, to look at the way that photographers light things through Instagram. But I think if you're not careful, it's, it's something that can also be quite dangerous as well because you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Uh, you're constantly judging what you're doing by somebody else. And Instagram shouldn't validate who you are as an artist or a person because you post something on Instagram, it blows up over 24 hours and then in the next 24 hours, everyone's forgotten about it. True. So it's a great exposure platform, but also it shouldn't dictate how you feel about yourself or about your work.
0: And that's an interesting thought, and I think it's also a very important one. <laughs> Do you compare yourself to other people?
1: I think it's tricky. It's tricky not to compare yourself in any, to anybody in any day of life. That's always been there. With social media, it's just been heightened because it's in front of your face on a daily basis, 24-7. I look at people's work, and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd done that hair and makeup, or wow, that picture's amazing, or oh, how did he get that job? You do compare yourself, but it's nothing I take too seriously because if you're passionate, you're talented, you know what you want to do and you're determined, you'll get there. Sometimes the slow tortoise can, can win the race as well. So I don't think there's any rush. I think it's just about sticking to what you do, believe in what you do and be passionate about what you do so that other people can be passionate about it as well.
0: Do you ever have moments when you feel like this is just so not working?
1: Yeah, like all the time. <laughs> I think everyone does, no?
0: Yeah, everyone does. But like at certain point, people are like, oh my God, he is so ahead of me.
1: There's somebody thinking about that about me.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and I'm thinking that about somebody else as well. The tricky thing as an artist is that you're only ever as good as the last picture you took. That's why we're control freaks. That's why we are constantly workaholics, because we're constantly trying to Inspire ourselves, think about the next project. And I think the reality is sometimes you just got to stop and realize that we're very, very lucky. We're very appreciative of where we are in our own careers. If you can make a living from doing what you love, to me, then you're winning anyway. You know, it doesn't matter how successful you are, or money is all relative. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to your own happiness. And if you can live a life by doing something that you enjoy, then I think you're winning.
0: Do you think that in the near future, people will be able to make a living from photography?
1: I think photography will always be there. It's changing so much. Photography will always be there. Movies will always be there. Now, people are wanting less words and more imagery. True. The way that technology is going, people are swiping and looking and using their fingers to look at images more than their eyes to read something. So I think imagery will always be there. I just don't know in what capacity. I hope magazines are always there. But even if it goes into something, you know, holograms or 3D or teleported, you know, whatever, however <laughs> however crazy you let your imagination run with it, there's still going to be artists there creating images to make those things happen anyway. So there'd always be a place for our work.
0: Less words and more imagery. <laughs> yes. It's kind of hard to do it in a podcast.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your imagery. Let's talk, for example, about the photo shoot that you did for your cover for W Magazine.
1: Laura's is a good friend of mine, actually. I'm having lunch with her in a few hours.
0: Ooh, maybe we can have her for a podcast in this case. Maybe you can talk to her about you know,
1: it. I'll ask her. I'll <laughs> ask her for sure. She's a very, very good friend of mine. I was approached by this story, and this story was sponsored by uh, breast cancer. And Tiffany's, the jewellery, they wanted to bring awareness and strength and empower women's bodies, but whilst also making them aware of the realities out there and what you need to be looking out for. And um, Lara was a great candidate. She's got an amazing figure. She's got an amazing confidence and amazing, amazing boobs. So if you're shooting a story based around boobs and from breast cancer, it was great to do it with one of my best friends That's you know, I'm, I'm extremely comfortable with and I've known for a very long time.
0: Well, I think this is making it easier to just tell her, hey, I want to shoot your nipple right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's been known to have her body is amazing. And she was the number one model for five or six years worldwide. And she rose to her career when sex really was the forefront of advertising. And she is renowned. Her face is a very sexual face, her lips and her Her teeth and everything about her and from the time in her career where where she really excelled was at a very sexual place as well. So she's very confident, very comfortable, and it's easy to get great images of Lara.
0: We talk a lot about the comfort of the model when we're shooting naked people. Yeah. But we never talk about the comfort of the photographer.
1: I'm not a diva. (laughs) I'll make sure I'm comfortable somewhere or another you can only ever be stressed if you're not prepared. So if you're prepared and you've got everything you need and you know what you're doing, then there is no stress. And if you're not stressed, then you're comfortable. So to me, it's it's easy to feel comfortable.
0: So the very first time you shot a naked woman, you were just so comfortable with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I think the first time I shot a series of naked women, it's on my website. It's a series of uh, really big supermodels at Irina Sheik, Anna Ewers, Kat McNeil, Jamie's in there. It was for a project. We got approached by a charity called Unitas and Unitas works in preventing and stopping the kidnapping and sex slavery of young Eastern European girls. Anna Ewers and Mina were the chair of the board and they wanted to do a photo shoot which was based around nude vulnerable models empowering their bodies and letting people bring awareness to the fact that it's their body it's their choice so we shot this series of portraits all in one day and so the girls would come in there would be little conversation i would make sure they were comfortable but before you knew it we had got the shot and they were back out the door and that series of work sold for fifty thousand dollars and all procedures went to the charity which was really amazing and it's the charity that i'm quite close to and want to continue working with and we've been speaking about Exhibitions and other ways of raising money for the charity.
0: That's so awesome. Actually, it's one of the topics that I wanted to brought up during the interview. So, is there something that you want to tell to the photographers that want to be part of a charity, but they don't know what to do right now?
1: It's also quite sad as well that there's a lot of charities out there that aren't, you know, they make profit as well. So, I think yeah. you've got to do your research. You've got to know where the money is going to. You've got to be passionate about the charity. And for example, this project, I had all the documentation from the charity and the procedures of where the money went to, the amount of, I had the facts. So I knew the amount of girls and children that they had helped previously compared to the year before. And I could present all of this data to the model agents so that they knew that they were putting their girls into a safe environment. Mm hmm. That was going to, actually gonna do good um because there are charities out there that they see opportunities for things to be done in in a different way, and it's always good to give back to charities. I think you've just got to make sure that the charity is something that is important to you and you can relate to or you you have a reason why you want to help that charity, and then you need to just make sure that you've got documentation on the structure of the charity to help you get the specific type of models you want or. To just to cover your own back as well, you know. You don't ever want to be shooting for a charity without knowing where the images are going.
0: Absolutely. Exactly. And in this particular case, you were shooting in the same place and you're used to, right?
1: Yeah, it was my studio in New York. We've got lots of friends who are models and lots of model agents, and it was a case of ringing around everybody uh, over a, over a two-day period and seeing how many girls we could get at the right time. And it was amazing. It was one of my favorite projects I'd done because it was so easy. There was no client there. It was fun. I have good relationships with all of those girls. It was comfortable. And and the images, I believe, are some of my favorite. When you can do something like that and raise money for a charity as well, we're all very privileged. We're not saving the world. We want to be photographers. We are photographers. We're image makers and artists. And I think if you can give back to people that are less fortunate doing something that you love, It's a no-brainer for me. There should be more photographers getting involved in charities, I think.
0: I completely agree. Even I'm looking for a charity at the moment that I can support and just give something. But it's not an easy process. No, it's not. As you said, there are many charities and not all of them are legit.
1: Yeah. I always knew that I wanted to work for some charities. And I think there was charities that I went looking for. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they come to you as well. Just don't make a quick decision on it. I think it's something you will know instantly when there's an opportunity that fits and feels right.
0: I really trust my gut, And it yeah. sounds like you did the same. It's very funny that you mentioned that there was no client. So
1: it's been a great photo shoot. Yeah, clients complicate.
0: Yeah, they can complicate a lot of things.
1: When a client is there, they're there with the whole office. The pressure of the whole office on their back It's down to them. So I, I get it. Clients make things harder by being <laughs> on set. But it's their job and as long as you've got good communication, it's fine.
0: Do you have any other advices for handling tough clients?
1: It's knowing your ability and having clear communication. I can do anything a client wants me to do, you know. I just need clear communication to make sure that I'm not wasting my time or the model's time. And if you're wasting the model's time, the model will let you know because you'll be able to see it in their posture, in their face, in their energy. Mm -hmm. So I think I think it's all down to clear communication from the start. You know, the way that I would usually do it is shoot a couple of pictures, show the client, make sure they're happy with the direction. Then I kindly ask the client to vacate. And then I will, you know, once we know we're on the right direction, then I like to clear the room and make sure it's just me and the model and the stylist and just shoot as much as we can and make sure we know that we get the we've got the image before bringing the client back in.
0: It is extremely important to know at the very beginning what you're doing. Yeah. For example, last week I had a case with a client when we started cheating and I was like, okay, is that the direction that we are going to? And she was like, well, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I was like, what? Seriously? I mean, is it because of the photography or because you're not sure? And she said, no, I'm just, I'm not very sure. My buyer is not here.
1: So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow, wow. It was a
0: very frustrating photo shoot. Yeah. They were super happy at the end, but...
1: That's good. When you're in a scenario like that, you almost want to, to stop and say, right, I'll let you guys have a quick discussion.
0: Exactly what I did.
1: Yeah. If there's no clarity, then you can't produce what they want. So you're just kind of wasting everybody's time unless there is clarity, you know?
0: Yeah. We send the files to the, the sellers. I'm sorry. I meant the sellers Yeah, before that. So we send files to the sellers and they had to say yes or no. And then we were ready to continue. But before that, it was just, as you said, waste of time. If our just continued shooting. Exactly. Clients are not easy, not always, but there are some amazing (laughs) clients. It's very important for me that you're constantly saying you need to be prepared. I was prepared for this shoot and so on and so on. So. I definitely think that the fact that you're so aware of your light is giving you the chance to talk to your model and be clear with your client and your crew. Am I right?
1: Totally. The most important thing for me in the morning is to know what you're doing because I think there's a lot of time that is underestimated. And I think that time in the morning where the model with satin hair and makeup, as a photographer, I want to be talking to the model, talking to the client, making sure that they feel comfortable around me, making sure that they know that they can ask me for anything or they can talk about a direction at any time. And while you're doing that, your assistants are setting up the lights. And that's something that you've got to, you know, you need to think about the night before and always be available for like variable change because things do change and you might want to mix things up, but you need a starting point. And it's important that when you're there in the morning, your assistants know how to set up your cameras, know how to set up the lights that you want, set up the computers in the digital station so you can spend your time talking to a model and sitting there having a cup of tea with her while she's having her hair or her makeup done, talking to the clients and looking over the reference board. So you have to know where you want to start or a starting point for your assistants to help. Um, So it's all about preparing beforehand.
0: You were working as an assistant for quite a long time and now you're having assistants, so Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering what was the thing that you were demanding from your assistants once you were hiring them.
1: I believe you can teach anybody anything. So what I require is someone that has a basis of knowledge but is hungry. I enjoy teaching somebody, but I don't enjoy teaching somebody the same thing twice. <laughs> It's somebody that is hungry and has the ability to learn and listen. If you want to learn something and somebody tells you it, that's enough for you to go away, understand it, and remember it. So I don't really like wasting time and telling people things more than once. But the other thing is that really important to me is someone that's humble and respectful, because if you're spending a lot of time with them, you've got to like them as a person. Uh, Regardless of their qualities as an assistant, you have to like them and trust them as a person. That's what I look for the most.
0: You know, it's very funny. The very first time I went to assist continuously, just one photographer, I remember she came to me and said, I'm going to show you everything in the studio. I'm going to show it once. Yeah. If you need to, I'm going to show it to you twice. Yeah. Yeah. But if I have to show it to you the third time, I'm just going to point the door. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> OK, definitely, totally. I assisted for three years and then I had to explain where is everything in the
1: studio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. It, assistants are, you're given that amount of trust to that photographer's life. And you get to a point where that photographer relies on you so much that they end up asking you where their things are, where their car keys are, where their lights are, where their checkbooks are, what time their mother is arriving. You know, it's uh, there's so many things that come with that relationship. It's it's quite funny.
0: I know that everyone that is listening to the show right now, but have also took a look at your website. They already know who you've been assisting. Yeah. Do you want to share it right now for the people that are first listening to the podcast?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I just did lots of people. I spent seven years... Uh, Assistant in Merton Marcus, but before then I was working with people like Annie Leibovitz or Miguel Rodrigo. And I loved assisting, um, but I really wanted to learn and give my life to a photographer to learn as much as I could do in the shortest period of time. Because there's a difference between freelance assistant and full time assistant. When you're freelance assistant, you see lots of different photographers and lots of different ways of working, but you don't necessarily get to know the clients or see how they deal with working post-production or selects you just see the nine hours on set and I had an opportunity to assist Merton Marcus that was one of the best experiences of my life I'm still in very good contact with them and they're very supportive and in that seven years we had days where we were shooting 30 days a month in different cities flying on different red-eye flights different clients learning from the best start styling the best hair the best makeup seen the best models, the best celebrities in the world, and things were really being done to such a high standard that it was the best training and the best education I could have possibly had for my own career.
0: Well, I'm very, very sure that everybody wants to know how that just happened to you. You'll be able to hear the rest of our interview next Wednesday. But before that, don't forget to come back on Friday for another Friday podcast. And guys, if you have any questions, don't be shy. Ask away on our Facebook group, The Fashion Photography Podcast. If you want to record your question, you can definitely do that, especially if you're using Anchor. There, you can subscribe to our podcast and also send us voice messages. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. And I cannot wait to see you on Friday.